Welcome to The Heart Zone, featuring George Cannon. This broadcast is a time of teaching and encouragement from Kerwinsville Christian Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. And now for a message from The Heart Zone. Here's George Cannon. You know, we've been going through the Gospel of Luke specifically looking at Jesus' earth walk, looking at the reality of who he is, and hopefully we have been broadening our concept of who Jesus is. Because I want you to think about it for a moment, because if you think about, you know, I've been a believer now for 25 years, and when you come to church Sunday after Sunday, there's an assumption that you know who Jesus is. But the reality is, is that, You could come to church and hear a lot of teaching about how to live this way and how to do that and totally miss who Jesus is. And so that's why we've entered into this study, the earth walk, is to give us an understanding concerning the reality of Jesus. And we've seen a lot about him, that he came to do something new. He's not here to uh, just reestablish an old religious system which requires a lot of you, puts you into oppression. He was here to do something new. In fact, that's why, if you notice over the last few weeks, he started coming in conflict with the self-righteous people, the gatekeepers. And today in this passage, we're going to see who Jesus chooses to be with him. Specifically, the passage is dealing with him choosing his disciples or the apostles. But there is a lot from these verses that I think will help you and I. You say, what do you mean, George? Well, I'm going to be honest with you. If you've been in church long enough, you begin to develop a concept of what a Christian should be like. And so in your mind, maybe you've got this picture of the perfect Christian. And that's the type of person that God likes. And that's the kind of person that he's going to choose. And and you look at that perfect Christian, and in your mind, you look at yourself and you say, well, hey, I'll never be like that. Or, here's another one, I've done this in my life. There's no way I can be like that. So you begin to look at yourself and you begin to think in terms of they're over here. They're these, shall I use the term, super Christian, spiritual people. And then you look at your life and you look and you say, man, there's, there's just no way. I'm not matching up. And so you become defeated. And you begin to think in terms of, and I'll be, I'll be honest with you, because I've seen it as a pastor for many years, I've seen it, you begin to think in terms of the blessing of God is for everybody else but me. And you're hoping, you're hoping that He'll bless you, but you know that you'll never, you'll never match up. You'll never match up to that concept of what it is to be a Christian in your life. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, we do, don't we? We live in that defeat. But here's what I want you to see. We've been going through this earthwalk study because we want to broaden our concepts of who Jesus is. And one of the things we're going to see is the kind of people Jesus chooses to be his friends. And hopefully today, it's going to set us free. It's going to help us to grasp some things. It's going to help us to grasp the reality of who Jesus is and what he is in our lives. And the reality that he chose you to be his friend. So I want you to notice with me, we're going to look at verses 12 through 16. Just a few short verses, but there's a lot here. And if we don't take the time to look at it, you're going to miss what it says. Now it came to pass in those days 
that he went out to the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called his disciples to himself and from them he chose twelve whom he also named apostles. Simon, who he also named Peter, Andrew his brother, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon called the Zealot, Judas the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who also became a traitor. You say, wow, George, you're going to get something out of that for us? Yeah, we're going to see a couple things here. First we're going to look at, we're going to see a choice. We're going to see the issue of Jesus choosing, and then we're going to talk about the chosen ones. I'm going to bring some things out of this passage for you. First of all, I want you to notice the choice. Look with me at verse 12. The day before, the night before, he makes his decision as far as choosing his apostles. He's going to pour his life into 12 individuals because these 12 individuals are going to carry on his ministry when he leaves. And so he spends the night in prayer and he's getting ready to make this decision. So there's a couple things I want you to see here. First of all, it was not an arbitrary decision. It wasn't an arbitrary decision. You know, oftentimes I think of choices like, how many of you remember being in school and it was P.E. time and, and uh, you know, they want to play softball and there you are with your class and so they pick two captains and then, you know, the captains are supposed to pick the team. How many of you remember? I remember hating that. And how many of you, you know, so maybe you were the captain and you got to pick. And, and it was it's an arbitrary decision. You kind of look people up and down and you think, well, yeah, I think they can hit a ball, you know, or, yeah, I know I've played with him. I want him, you know, and then it gets down to the last few, which nobody wants, but everybody's got to take somebody, you know what I'm saying? And we think in terms of choices like that. That is not what's going on here. He didn't just walk in the midst of his disciples, and by that time he probably had at least 70, but he spent the night communing with God, making a decision as to who these twelve are going to be. So it's not an arbitrary decision on Jesus' part here. Do you understand what I'm saying? He spends the night communing with God. The other thing I want you to see here, before we really get into the heart of everything here, is it was the will of God. The choice that he was making was the will of God. Listen, in fact, how do I know that he was praying about those twelve who he would choose? Because later on in the garden, in John 17, it records this, he was praying for them the night in which he was betrayed. And in that high priestly prayer, in John chapter 17, verse 6 through 9, he writes this, I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. So let's stop for a moment. Here's what he's saying. This was the will of God. These 12 guys that he's choosing, he's praying about, God gave them to Jesus. You understand? Notice what he's saying. I have manifested your name to them whom you've given me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have known all the things which you have given me are from you. And I have given to them the words which you have given me, and they have received them. And have known surely that I have came forth from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those you have given me. For they are yours. See, what I want you to see here is when we talk about Jesus choosing folks, God's the one who gives them to them. 
And so when you think about that decision, that choice he makes there, it's not an arbitrary decision. It's not like, ah, oh, you know, I like the way Matthew looks, I'll pick him. That Judas guy, something about him, but yeah, I'll take him too. That's how we think, but that's not what's going on here. He communed with God. It wasn't an arbitrary decision. And God is the one who said, these are the twelve. I give them to you. Now, hold that in the back of your mind. Because what we see here in this passage is the sovereignty of God. Now, what do you mean by the sovereignty of God, George? Here, let me explain that to you. When we talk about sovereignty, we're talking about one who is in control. We're talking about God being in control. And everything is under his control. That's what we're talking about. But I want you to notice with me the chosen ones. It's an interesting list. In fact, I'll read it to you one more time. And I want you to think about this list. Think about the people there, and I'm going to explain some things to you. Simon, who is also called Peter. Andrew, his brother. James and John. Philip and Bartholomew. Matthew and Thomas. James, the son of Alphaeus. Simon, called the Zealot. Judas, the son of James. And Judas Iscariot, who also became a traitor. You're saying, okay, George, wow, just a list of names. What is that going to tell us here, George? Except for the fact of Judas Iscariot, we know he's the traitor. What else does that mean? Because I'm not a traitor. What can you tell us about these chosen ones? Here's what I want you to see, a couple of things. Number one, they were average people. They were average people. Some of you are going to need to grasp that. See, in your mind, you think in terms of that super Christian that you know that you can never measure up to because you think in terms of that God chooses special people. God chooses people who have skills. God chooses people who can play a guitar or who can sing. God chooses people who can preach. God chooses special people. And you look at yourself in the mirror and you say, well, hey, I'm not special. I can't carry a tune in a bucket. That's true for me. Just ask my wife. I mean, it's reality. You look at yourself and you think, I'm not special. He can't use me. My friends, he can. Why? The people he chose were average people. What do you mean they're average people? Look at it. These are not high and mighty people here. The first four are fishermen. They're not educated. They, in fact, in Acts, when, they, when, when, when Peter and John appear before the Sanhedrin, and they're giving testimony to Jesus, it's interesting, the Bible says that the scholars of that day, the religious authorities, the gurus of that day, were sitting there and they're saying among themselves that these are ignorant fishermen. I mean, they knew right off the back of the way they were talking. They were ignorant fishermen. But here's what they said. But they noticed that they had been with Jesus. These were average people. God chooses average people. Do you understand the reality of that? They're average people. Here, here's what I want you to see. Next thing. They were a unique, diverse group. They were a unique, diverse group. We're talking 12 people here. I'm going to explain something to you. They don't all look alike. They don't all act alike. They don't all say the same things. They don't all believe the same things. What are you talking about, George? Here, I'll explain to you what I'm talking about. What we see from this group is, I already told you, there are four fishermen. They're poor fishermen. We also know that in this verse, there's a man by the name of Matthew. We've already been introduced to him already because he has another name called what? 
Levi. What was Levi's profession? Tax collector. What was it about tax collectors? They had money. Remember when Jesus called Levi? He threw what? A big feast for him. How could he do that? He had money. So in this group, you've got the poor and you've got the rich. In this group, you've got Matthew who used to work for who? The Roman government. And you've got another guy by the name of Simon who was called what? The zealot. Now let me explain to you who the zealots are. The zealots of their day were basically terrorists. They hated the Romans, and they would try whatever they could to overthrow the Romans. So think about that. On one hand, you've got one guy who used to work for the Romans, and on the other hand, you've got another guy who what? Used to fight against them, who hated them. They're pretty diverse, aren't they? Here, let me just stop for a moment. I want you to understand, we've got to correct something here. You know what the problem with church is today? The problem with church is today, and, 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 and here's what it is. When we reach out towards others to bring them to church, we only reach out to people who are just like us. That's the problem with church today. Isn't that right? We only want people who think like us, who act like us, and maybe even look like us come to our church. But from the very beginning, when you look at who Jesus chose, I don't think these guys were just hanging out together because they wanted to. Do you understand what I'm saying? They came together and they were different. See, this is the wonderful thing about Jesus. Jesus brings different people together. And it's okay to be different. In fact, we need to be different. Think about how boring life would be if everybody was the same, right? In fact, some churches are that, aren't they? Pretty boring. And the reality is is that they were a diverse group. But here's the thing. Their central bond was Jesus. That's the next point I want you to see there. What brought together 12 individuals who were completely unique? What brought together people who were on opposite ends of the spectrum politically? I mean, you think about it. You can't be any more opposite than that. Somebody who works for, the, for Rome and then somebody who hates Rome who's going to try to get rid of them. I can almost guarantee you when they got together, they didn't talk about what? Politics. Their bond and the central issue to them was one person only. Who? Jesus. Is there a lesson there for us? You better believe it. Can I tell you one thing, folks? Here's the issue. You know, I've been here nine years now. And as pastor for nine years, I've entered into a lot of discussions with a lot of folks. And let me tell you what I've realized in nine years. There are some things you don't talk about. What do you mean? You don't talk about politics because nobody's going to agree with you. Even if you're from the same party, you don't agree. Number two, you don't talk about sports. This may be Steeler country, but there are people who hold to other views. Do you understand what I'm saying? You say, well, they're a minority. Well, they're there still. And, they, and, they, and you've tried working on them. It doesn't work. They still hold to their team. Do you know what I'm saying? What is it that is our bond here? What is it that brings us together? Is it because we stand on the same moral issues? My friends, even there, there are some differences. It's not politics. It's not who the president should be or shouldn't be. It's not who your sports team is. It's not even food. I'm dismayed. What do you mean? I love burgers. It used to be when we had a picnic, we just had burgers. Now we have chicken, and most of you eat chicken. I have had no influence on you. But see, that's not our, that's not our bond, is it? What is our bond? 
what drew those 12 completely average, unique people together was one thing only. Jesus. Jesus. That's what drew them together. It wasn't their education levels. It wasn't how much money they have or didn't have. And believe me, there is such a diverse group there. In fact, let me just say this. I'll throw this in. It wasn't even their age. What do you mean their age? Well, many scholars believe that John at this time probably was about 14 or 15 years old. Isn't that interesting? So here you have a diverse group. What brings them together? Jesus. Can I tell you something, folks? That's what needs to bring us together, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not who we vote for, not what team we root for, not even our social economic thinking of, you know, you only hang out with these kind of people. The centrality of who we are is Jesus. That's what's going on here. That's who they are, the chosen ones. But I want you to see something, and this is true even today. Not everyone is a team player. Here he is. He chose 12 people, and Luke makes it very clear that the last one he chose, in fact, the last one he chose, Judas Iscariot, became a traitor. What do we know about Judas a little bit? We know that he's probably the only non-Galilean, so he's the only one of the 12 who didn't come from northern Israel. He came from southern Israel, probably Judah, because he probably came from a community called Cariot, that's why Escariot, that's meaning from Cariot, Judas from Cariot. And we know later that in reality Judas wasn't a team player. He, Even though the central bond was Jesus, he was there for different reasons. He was there for Jesus, but he was there for what Jesus would get for him. But you got to remember something. God told Jesus to pick him. So even in a room like this, you could be, we could be here and there are not there are some of you who aren't team players. What does that mean? You're here for the wrong reasons. And that's reality. And ultimately, in time, that will be revealed. You say, okay, George, they were average. They were unique. They were diverse. Their central bond was Jesus. What's that for me? Okay, let's go back to what I said earlier. You can be here. And you can think, yeah, I believe in you, Jesus. I trust in you for my salvation. But you can never use me. Because I don't have my education. Or you don't know what I've done. Or keep going on. We can list them one after another, can't we? And what happens is, is you can get into a mindset that thinks that only the special people and you have in your mind who the special people are. In fact, can I remind you of something? The special people let you know who they are. Isn't that true sometimes? And so what happens is, is you look at them and you say, there they are. I'm here. I want to serve you, God. I love you, but I'm never going to be this. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. I am never going to be this. And so you just say, I'm just going to become a pew sitter. And eventually, if you don't endure the pew, you will fall away. And you know what? In our town is filled with people who have fallen away. Because in their mind, they came to church, but they never felt that they could fit in church. They love God. They love Jesus. They're trusting Him for salvation. But there's no way. 
So rather than endure, they just stay home. They give up. That's reality. That's what we're facing here, isn't it? Some of you here today are like that. You, or you're here today and you know someone who's like that and they're not in church anymore. What does this passage tell us? What does this passage, when you look at Jesus and you look at what's going on, what does it tell you and I? What is there for us that we can take home there with it? I mean, we're looking at a list of 12 names. 12 names, George, unless you had studied them and told me what it meant, I probably wouldn't have grasped that. But what do you see there that I could take home? Because this is the world I live in. And let's be honest, this is the world that a lot of times church has communicated. Has it not? This is the world. What does this mean? I'm going to give you three thoughts. And this is where we're going to spend the rest of our time. The first thought is this. Recognize that God chose you. See, one of the things we forget in the Bible is this. It's actually like a two-faced coin. You know, if I was to hold up a quarter to you, you'd have George Washington on the front and on the back would be a building. There is a two-faced edge to salvation. You responded. You asked him. But the Bible makes it very clear that he chose you. He's the one who spoke to you. He's the one who brought someone by to you. He's the one who opened your eyes so that you could see the truth. He's the one, the Holy Spirit is the one who gave you understanding. He's the one who gave you faith. See, you chose Jesus, but we've got to remember something. Jesus chose you. See, when you think about it, listen to me, when you think about it, here you are, you're thinking that, boy, I'm not ever going to be here, I'm down here. And, and, and here's what happens when we have that kind of thinking. We tend to think in terms of that God sees me as down here. God sees me as someone not worthy. God sees me and all He sees is what I've done or haven't done or who I am or who I haven't been. And, and He sees that and He says, there's no way you can be like that. So God only has a special place in His heart for these folks up here and down here, I've got to remind you of something. He chose you. And it wasn't an arbitrary decision. It wasn't like he was sitting there saying, well, yeah, I'll take him. It's not my first choice. But we think that way, don't we? Listen, John again writes this, John 15. This is Jesus speaking. Because some of you are saying, well, I don't, know, I don't know if I grasp that idea. I don't know if I agree with that thing about he chose me. Listen to what Jesus said. You did not choose me. He writes in John 15, verse 6, But I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain and that whatever you ask my Father in my name, he may give you. What's he saying here? Listen to me, folks. Let me put it in a way that you understand. You didn't choose him. He chose you. And here's why he chose you. Because he's got something that he wants you, little old you who thinks he's down here and everybody else is up here, he's got something he wants to use you for. He wants you to bear fruit. And notice what he said about that fruit that he wants you to bear. It will be fruit. It will be something that endures. What does it mean, endure? It means that it will be spoken of later on. Isn't that awesome? We can get in this mindset of saying, oh, he can never use me. Look at where I am. Look at where I'm working. How can you use me, God? The reality is, is he chose you. You're special to him. Think about, remember when I told you to put in your mind when we talked about the choice? 
It was not an arbitrary decision. It was the will of God. My friends, it was his will when you became a Christian. And he has something special in mind for you. Isn't that awesome? Some of you are still having a hard time grasping that. I can see it in your faces. You're saying, yeah, George, right. God wants to use me. My friends, he does. We've got to get out of this mindset that the only people he can use are Billy Graham's. We've got to get out of this mindset that the only people that God wants to use are preachers and missionaries. He chose average people. Who's that? You and I. Do you see that? Do you grasp that reality? That's what we get out of this passage. So there you are. You're thinking you're down here. Can I tell you how God sees you? Level. Everyone the same. And you're special to him. In fact, isn't that what Peter says? What do you mean what Peter says, George? He says you are a chosen generation. A special people to God. Isn't that awesome? God views you as special. Wow! You're special. Here's the second point. Recognize that Jesus is our common bond. Our central bond here. Recognize that our common bond for why we are here is not because we all have the same education level. We don't. It's not because we all vote for the same guy. We don't. It's not because we all root for the same team. Believe me, we don't. We don't even like the same foods. Some of you don't even like the same music. The reality is, is what brings us together is one person only, Jesus Christ, God of the universe, Lord of lords, King of kings. That is what our bond is. Is that true? That's reality. When you look at these 12 men, their common bond was Jesus. It wasn't all this other stuff. My, have we gotten off track, haven't we? That's our common bond. That's who we need to be. See, recognize that Jesus is our common bond. So here's what we've done. We, we need to recognize that he chose you. So you're a special person. You're a chosen generation. We need to recognize that our common bond here for why we gather is Jesus. Do you understand what I'm saying? But there's one other thing I want you to see here that comes out of this passage. And hopefully this will set some of you free. Be yourself. Be yourself. You know, when I look at these 12 names, here's what I see. I see 12 different people, 12 different people, 12, 12 people who who are, man, they are so different. Just take, just take Peter and Andrew. They're brothers. We all know about Peter, don't we? Jesus, I'll die for you. Whack! Cut somebody's ear off the next moment. I don't even know him. What's that? I mean, holy cow, that's, that's, that's a guy who acts before he thinks. I'd just like to be his mother. But in the same family, there's another guy by the name of Andrew. And you don't hear very much about Andrew in the Gospels. But one thing you can tell about Andrew is this. He wasn't like Peter. He was a quiet guy who quietly brought people to Jesus. Do you understand what I'm saying? So when I look at that group, I look at the diversity of that group. Some rich, some poor, some ignorant, some not. Some politically on one side, politically on another. Some whose personalities are strong and others who were meek, what does it tell me? I don't need to worry about being someone else. I just need to be me. Do you understand what I'm saying? Be yourself. 
Be real, folks. Let's quit putting on airs. Thank you for being with us this morning. And we trust that today's message has been both challenging and an encouragement to your heart. At Kerwinsville Christian Church, a warm welcome is always extended to you. We're located at 700 State Street, Kerwinsville, Pennsylvania. For more information about our ministry, please visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. Now, on behalf of George Cannon and the entire church family, we hope that you will look to the Heavenly Father in all that you face this coming week.